Hello, and thank you so much for joining us once again for another episode of What Are You Reading in a Perfect World? You know, you're on your commute. It's a Monday morning. Things aren't going so well, but you're looking forward to that moment you get on Marta, where you can sit beside someone who you don't know and awkwardly but politely ask them, Hey, what are you reading? That is the kind of perfect world we would like to create here on What Are You Reading? <laughs> My name is Tim Rhodes, and I'm a media producer living here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Ian North. I'm a student ministries director for a local church. Uh, Tim, what are you reading this week? Well, I am reading, uh, I'm a little hesitant to admit this, but I guess it's okay. I just started reading, literally the first chapter started reading The Gunslinger by Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King was the first part of my, was the first person in my life or first moment in my life where I started um, having this idea of questioning things that I, I thought I knew previously. I was probably in middle school, maybe earlier, um, and I grew up in a conservative, somewhat conservative evangelical home, and, uh, and you know, of course, being in that kind of sphere as well at school, you know, most of my friends were kind of in that same sort of background, and so Stephen King was kind of like the Marilyn Manson of books, you know, like, <laughs> he was, oh, there's the supernatural, the horror, the, you know, the, the demonic, and, and so we just kind of had this, even though none of us obviously had ever read him, we didn't know what we were talking about, but we just had this idea in our heads, like, oh, he's the guy you should stay away from. Until one day out of nowhere, I was, you know, as I was learning to fall in love with books and talking with my mother about it, I found out that as a young teenager and as a young adult, my mom loved Stephen King. And my mom is like the, perf- you know, she's just the perfect person. She's amazing. She's perfect. I've she, met her is, she is a, a wonderful <laughs> human being. So I had this moment of cognitive dissonance where I had to decide... Do I judge my mom based on what I think I know about these books? Or do I judge these books based on what I definitely know about my mom? And so that's when I decided I need to read these books, or at least some, and come to like an opinion myself. Yeah. And uh, granted, I say since then I've only read two of his, but they've been great. <laughs> they've been really fantastic, actually. And I've heard so many great... All that being said, I've heard so many good things about The Gunslinger and the Dark Tower series in yeah. general. So I'm going to dive in. I'm going to give the first book a shot and see see how it goes. So yeah. I'm really excited. That's interesting because neither of us normally reads any kind of fantasy. No. Um, but now you're reading that. And I've been reading um, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin is a, uh, an author of fantasy novels. And I didn't know about her because I don't usually swim in those seas. But she started getting some recognition for her mm-hmm. contribution to literature in general. And... Uh, and so I looked up some of her books, and it's really interesting because most of the fantasy we read that's sort of in our pop culture is built out of a, like, Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm. Yeah. So, like, you have Lord of the Rings or Narnia, you know, the big ones. Even Harry Potter was written by an Anglican. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ursula Le Guin is an anarchist, and so her, like, the magic in her world sort of follows the rules of her worldview. It's been super interesting to read. I think sometimes when you read fantasy, they focus so much on creating a world that's consistent mm-hmm. with their worldview that uh, they don't create that interesting of characters. Yeah. Um, but I've been reading the Earth Sea series by Ursula Le Guin, and it's like it reflects her worldview in that, like, where you, on a particular, like, in a particular town, like the spell that works another place won't work there, and you have to learn, 
you have to learn the true local names of things. Mm -hmm. You have to learn the language. And so there's like sort of a community focus yeah. and a local focus and uh, just a really different worldview. So they've been really interesting and kind of thrilling to read because I've never read anything oh. from that worldview mm -hmm. that was fantastic like this. So I've been reading through those. I'm on the third book now and uh, and I'll probably stop there because I've gotten the hang <laughs> of the world. Yeah. But <laughs> um, And then awesome. read another one of hers pretty recently called uh, the word for world awesome. the word for world is forest so uh, awesome. that's what I've been reading all right great well also we want to as always uh, thank Atlanta vintage books for mm -hmm. uh, letting us use some of their space to record this yeah if you uh, wonder why wonderful. our podcast sounds like books yeah <laughs> it's because we're recording live in the metaphysical reading room yes. of Atlanta vintage oh, yeah. books we so. we are surrounded by books right now and it's a good feeling <laughs> it's really great so <laughs> so uh, uh, as always um, we've mentioned before if you uh, come into the store mention uh, Tim and Ian Ian and Tim either way uh, you get 10% off of uh, whatever you get which is incredibly generous of them and we really appreciate that a lot and uh as uh we just want to give our avb atlanta vintage books pick of the of the week uh it's a book in the cats section tim why did you say it like that what why did i say cats section like that <laughs> yeah because it's very important that you remember this you have to uh the section itself is cats with an exclamation point we can't have it any other way so yeah it's the cats section <laughs> it's this book is from the cats section and it's called your cat's just not that into you what part of meow don't you understand? So um, please <laughs> uh, come, come of by. Of the genre, it. <laughs> yeah, it's very significant. Actually, yeah, this one is uh, kind of highly regarded. It was a New York Times uh, non-existent seller. But <laughs> there is I'm a sure barcode on the back, so it's a real book. Yeah. And uh, so check it out. So when you come by, if you're interested, just ask for it. And I'm sure someone will be able to help In you cats. out. In cats. Yeah. <laughs> and c come quickly because this may not be here that much longer. <laughs> uh, but anyways, all right. So moving on. So who is our guest today, Ian? Oh, man. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, our guest today has been a mentor of mine for a long time, a workout buddy. Uh, uh, I go to church with him. Um, Tim, I think went from being a CDC, doing some research with the CDC, to becoming a pastor of a local church, uh, to becoming an advocate for immigrants in this neighborhood. And so uh, we work in a neighborhood as well. And when, when kids or their families have uh, immigration issues, it's just been really great to have uh, an advocate who can work with them and help them navigate the system. So Tim Isaacson. Yeah, glad to be here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, You're thank the, you so much. the executive director of Immigrant Hope Atlanta. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, where can we find you online? Our uh, website is hopeatl.org. Okay. Awesome. And can I just say, uh, Ian and I, as we were mulling this idea of a podcast over in our heads, you were like one of our first people that we said, okay, yeah. Tim's got it. We've got to talk to Tim. I'm just amazed I'm on the list at all. So. <laughs> yeah, so you've had this range of careers, right? From yeah. working with the CDC, being a pastor, now an immigration advocate. Can you describe for us a little bit of like how and why did you take the steps on that journey mm -hmm. to where you are today? <laughs> I think part of it's an example from home. My mom was really involved in the American Red Cross and did a lot of disaster work, so I had an example uh, yeah. to look at. Um, so I've, I've always grown up with this idea of the common good. Yeah. And when, uh, so when I came to Christ when I was 18 in college, uh, that idea just went from a nice idea to one of the central ideas of how I see life working because yeah. um, in, in 
that point of understanding faith and coming to faith, the world, the universe went from being sort of mechanistic and distant to being immediate and personal. Uh -huh. and, uh, and when this idea of a creator of all people so that all people matter has really driven everything I've done. So even in yeah. public health of oh. seeking the greater good for the greatest number of people to um, to moving into uh, pastoral work, which is a little bit more focused in yeah. terms of um, the best for the biggest number of people, all they've just been iterations, one iteration after the other, it seems in my own head, of, yeah. of living a life of faith and seeking the best for the most people. Yeah, so Tim and I, um, Tim and I were going to ask ask you this question. <laughs> you know our life, and yeah. and and uh, and uh, that we're also active in a church, and that we care for immigrants. But probably a broad question in our culture today is: You're evangelicals, don't you guys hate immigrants? Oh, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, some of that has to do with uh, how flexible the title uh, evangelical has become, yeah. and the different meanings that are ascribed to it, as opposed to. The good news, it now is a political or an economic title as much as anything else. So yeah. some of it's the nature of language. Uh, but I think uh, even for those who are evangelical in the, in the religious sense, um, yeah, there's, we're all shaped by, um, by ideas. Um, we're blindsided by the culture we live in. We don't, mm -hmm. if, if we don't have people to challenge us and hold our hold up different views to us, then yeah. we just assume the path we're on is right and everything that we think is right. And so when, uh, for example, um, when we were, you know, in a large church with million dollar homes across the street, this wasn't part of the conversation, but as God sort of intervened in the life of the church and started us to show us where he wanted us to be moving from a very affluent area to an immigrant area, mm -hmm. then, um, you know, the theology shaped too, because now we're looking at scripture and we're not just looking for what we've always seen or what we want to see. Now we're looking for God, what are you doing? And then just the love of immigrants is everywhere. The yeah. the identity of God's very people is as immigrants, as people who yeah. are sojourners. And, um, uh, and yet we've forgotten that part. And it's only when you're with other people yeah. and you're you're seeking God and they can say well why are you thinking that what where do you get that from that yeah. you that your eyes are opened and yeah. um, so and I don't think a lot of evangelicals hate I mean I think there there may be some that are I think it's more that um, they're not thinking about them at all or they see them as obstacles to what what is really driving them yeah um, and in the worst case it's it's fear or the desire to have a form of America that doesn't exist anymore, and so they see this as one of the reasons why that isn't true. Yeah. And so I think it's it's both uh, subtle and confusing when you talk to different people about yeah. the sort of their convoluted views of, of immigrants. Yeah, um, the scriptures are really clear, but we're not. Don't oppress them. Yeah, don't <laughs> exactly. oppress them. Be nice to them. Take <laughs> exactly. care of them. Yeah, Treat yeah. them like family. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things. I I think I grew up also in an evangelical sort of world mm -hmm. just like Tim was talking about and uh, and I've been rereading even the the law parts of the Old Testament which are known to be like super harsh right yeah. like uh, here's the reasons you can stone someone or like even embedded in that is this uh, sense of deep compassion for for people from other places who are among us right so like oh, yeah. and then there's always this call back to to the Israelites throughout the Torah of like uh of like, remember that you two were strangers in Egypt when you mm -hmm. were there. Remember how you were treated. Think about how you'd want to be treated. So I think I'm I'm grateful that you're that you're 
uh, fighting for that theme because it's it's clear when you go back and look for it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any books that sort of um, woke you up to that aspect of uh, the Christian life or your faith? Mm-hmm. There were several. Um, I would say the two that were the most immediate. Um, uh, one was uh, Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Okay. Um, his treatise on on understanding justice and understanding uh, God's heart is really clear and really accessible, um, okay. especially to you know conservatives who you know who are gonna first sort of look at things as whether it's a conservative or ev- or liberal line, yeah, um, which is not a really healthy way to do it. But yeah. um, because you know Keller has the bona fides, then yeah. you know he's accessible to to a lot of folks. Um, uh, Matt Soren's book, Welcome the Stranger, is yeah. a great um, introduction to both the history and the legal side of what's going on. Yeah. Um, I'd recommend that one to, to anyone. Okay. And then Christians at the Borders by um, Carroll. Um, he's a theologian. I think he's at, um, he was at Denver now. I think he's at Wheaton. Um, he does a really great job of sort of unfolding and, and opening up mm-hmm. the, the scriptures and the positions. So those are the three that, that when people ask me about it, those, mm-hmm. those are my go-tos. Yeah. Well, uh, when you're not, I know, like, especially with the recent spike in deportations um, and then sort of shifts in immigration policy, combined with a lot of, like, anxiety in the immigrant community around, you've been super busy lately. Correct. Right? Are there any books that are unrelated to what you do that you sort of read just to chill out? (laughs) Oh my goodness. <laughs> or not. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, you know, I. it's so funny because books have so much meaning, right? I've mm-hmm. always been a reader. Um, they've served so many functions. The, the ones that, I, that are like at pivotal points in my, to- in my life where I've really been at a crossroads, those yeah. are all, you know, nonfiction or, or theological books. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's also... Um, there's also just things you need to stop thinking, right? Or just to, yeah. to enter into someone's world and just go for a ride where you're, you're, you're not in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's stuff that I read just to, to yeah. decompress and just to, or, or to get the, uh, the positive side. So one of the books I'm reading now is Tattoos of the Heart by, by Boyle. And, yeah. and that's just a great, it just sort of gives you hope because when you're in the midst of serving people and lots of stories mm-hmm. and, uh, you can't always help everyone, yeah. and you're sort of battling that depression and that helplessness. Yeah. Um, it's just great to realize that there's still redemptive things happening in that, and there's still things going on. That mm-hmm. you're not the center of the story. Yeah. That yeah. God's loves the center of the story, and so sometimes you just got to take it on the chin. And yeah, you know? <laughs> actually, yeah. you're the third person this week who's mentioned that book to me. Oh yeah, wow. and I think as a yeah, I think there's sort of two ways two ways I approach literature in relation to my work one is well there are more than two but one of one of the ways uh i do it is for it to like illuminate my work so for literature that would dig into the kinds of lives or be relevant to the situations i'm in and then there's some that kind of picks me out of it takes Mm -hmm. me out of it puts me into a different world um they can be equally enriching but yeah. There's there's a role for both in the life of someone who's really immersed in a lot of difficulty, right? Because when uh, when we work with kids in our neighborhood, uh, we hear all the pain. We hear things that make jaws drop. You know, the stories. I'm sure you hear of mm-hmm. of people coming over 
and you just have to sometimes find something to take your mind <laughs> and put it in a brighter place. Um, right, something that's healthy and non-toxic and yeah. <laughs> won't do you know, permanent damage to your health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Well, you mentioned, uh, this is kind of step, taking a step back a little bit, you mentioned um, loving books like all throughout your life. Was there a certain book or author maybe early on that kind of really kind of grabbed you and kind of brought about that love for books or like, is there something early on? I know that's a, that might, that's a kind of random on the spot question. But yeah. I don't know if you just may remember anything from the past that really hit you and just kind of, you helped you realize how amazing books are and what they could do. Like all kids, <laughs> my first earliest thoughts are like dinosaurs. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> yes. um, yeah. and then, yeah. then having those, uh, did you guys ever have the how, what, why books? So I like, so. it's almost like an encyclopedia, but not, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's like to open up and like questions like, why is yeah. the sun yellow and mm-hmm. things. So awesome. th- those are the types of things that first sort of ignited the, you know, these natural questions that are in the mm-hmm. mind and there's places to go where you can mm-hmm. get someone's opinion on it or an answer. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, just having that kind of resource and that kind of relationship. And mm-hmm. Plus, I think at the time they probably did something like narcotic with the pages of the mm-hmm. book so that the smell just cut yeah. you in. So even today, <laughs> to open up a book, that smell that's is just awesome. like, yeah, it's just like the best drug. You oh, know, it just it's, really captures you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's incredible. Yeah. So one of the other things is that, as that uh, I know about you uh, is that you have two sons mm-hmm. and they're they're somewhat close in age to mm-hmm. how far apart my sons are, except your sons are teenagers yeah. and my sons are two and six months <laughs> right um as someone who loves books and whose life has often been reoriented in relation to what you're reading or thinking about um did did you do anything with your kids to instill that love of books in them well, aside from reading to them a yeah. lot um there was also there was a period of time where we wrote stories together oh wow. so so I would start to spin the story and then ask them what was going to happen next. Mm. Um, and so we sort of built uh, a world around that for about a year that I wish to this day that I had written it down because, oh. and, you know, done those kind of things. Cause it's just something that we did together with our, mm-hmm. you know, with our imaginations and, mm-hmm. um, uh, but they've like, they both have a different relation to, to mm-hmm. books. And my oldest is completely engrossed and a, just an avid reader and, mm-hmm. Uh, the younger one, uh, n- not at all to the same degree, but but still a good reader. He l- enjoys writing, I think, more than actually reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read awesome. somewhere. It might have been the f- book Freakonomics. I don't remember where I read it, but I read this fact, and it's influenced my book buying habits. Is that they found that the big determining factor on whether children, like on how children would grow up in relation to books, like on their literacy as adults wasn't actually um, how much their parents read to them or any of the normal things we'd expect. Mm-hmm. It was simply this, how many books are in the house? <laughs> and I'll so, have great readers then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got a good library. And I think, uh, I, think I, I bring my kids here to Atlanta Vintage Books all mm-hmm. the time and just let them swim in the sea of stories <laughs> nice. in hopes that you know, some of it will drift in. Usually oh, yeah. right yeah. now they just want to eat the books. But. Yeah. And, the, and they want to see, play with the cats. Yeah, yeah. that's not so just a like, metaphor. They yeah. really do devour books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my hope right now is the kids are right now there. They love the bookstore right now. They call it the kitty bookstore because there are several cats. And there's a cat section. <laughs> but the hope is, you know, that you, I'm starting to see Liam slowly gravitate 
you know, more and more towards the book part. And so I'm hoping that just grows, but I'm glad they're here regardless. But yeah. the cat is kind of come for the cat, stay for the book. So yeah, <laughs> it's a good, good model to have. Hey, one. ABB. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to ask you the bonus question of the day. Uh-oh. <laughs> let's, let's imagine your life has been a thrilling story. Okay. Let's imagine there are a million people like me out there who would read the book and you're writing your mm. autobiography. You've got a book contract. The book is written and you have to title it. What do you Ooh. call oh. your autobiography? Uh, I, You know, as you're saying that, the one thing that comes to mind is one of the closing lines from the movie Real Genius, which is, it's getting kind of weird around here. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting kind of weird around here. That is great. So, Coming to bookshelves near yes. you. <laughs> Well, I want to thank wow. Tim Isaacson so much for yeah. spending some time with us talking about books. We're going to post uh, the books mm -hmm. that he mentioned in his interview uh, on our Goodreads list, and you can find them on, on yep. our website as well. Um, Tim Isaacson, thanks for being here. We're also yeah. going to link to uh, Immigrant Hope mm -hmm. uh, in case people want to see what's going on there or get involved. Um, do you have volunteer opportunities with Immigrant Hope? Oh, absolutely. We um we're a small shop with just a lot of people and a lot of things coming in, so we take volunteers, we train them, um, and we use all different kinds of volunteers, from translators to people just doing office work to people actually, we train them to be case managers where they help walk a family through the system mm -hmm. while we do all the legal work. So we have lots of needs, and people just need to get in touch with us and go through the interview process. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank yeah. you very much, Tim. Um, um, if you're interested in uh, getting in touch with us, any sort of feedback, reviews, just visit our website, whatareyoureadingpodcast.com. There you can find our Facebook page, Goodreads page, et cetera, et cetera, our email address. Um, just go there and, uh, and you can uh, connect with us and we really look forward and it means a lot to hear from you. We really appreciate that, uh, that you're listening. It means a lot. We want to wrap up with a book quote and we're going to mm -hmm. try and find a good one for you every week. This one's from David Foster Wallace. He says... Fiction is one of the few experiences where loneliness can be both confronted and relieved. Drugs, movies where stuff blows up, loud parties, all these chase away loneliness by making me forget my name's Dave and I live in a one-by-one -one box of bone no other party can penetrate or know. Fiction, poetry, music, really deep, serious sex, and in various ways, religion. These are the places for me where loneliness is countenanced, stared down, transfigured, treated. Thanks for listening.